It's not the God that you acknowledge that's going to answer you in times of trouble. It's the one that you truly serve. A lot of us go to church. We pray. We praise the Lord. We even cry to God. We get lost in worship. We let people lay hands on us. We do all of the the acrobatics associated with Christianity. But it is the fire that tests us. It is the fire that will prove you or disprove you to be a true follower of Christ Jesus. And this is something that I wanted to share with believers because I need you to hear me when I say this. You will be tested. Your yes to Jesus will be tested. And what I found is that so many people, when their yes is tested, it turns into a no. I immediately think about this young lady who used to follow me on Facebook. And I will not want to say follow me. We were friends on Facebook. Um, and she called herself a prophet. So every day, this particular lady was always prophesying on Facebook. I never saw anything about a pastor. None of that. Every single day, her Facebook page was just prophecy, 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 prophecy. I'm talking about throughout the day. That's all she seemed to do. She would even, you know, um, write prophecies on the people and all of that stuff. One day she disappeared. And after she disappeared, you know, I didn't think too much of it. I'm going to be honest with you. I was never truly a, like a fan or a follower of hers because she seemed to just, all of her prophecies seemed to be centered around goodness. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't remember, but I just didn't get a good vibe from her. Long story short, she reemerged one time. When she reemerged, she came up on my timeline. I hadn't seen her on my timeline in months or if not years. When she reemerged, and forgive me the sounds you hear in the background, me washing dishes. Uh, but when she reemerged, I was surprised to see that she was talking about new age stuff. And she was putting stuff up there. And I don't remember if it was vibrations. I don't think vibrations or the concept of vibrations were out. But it was other new age trends. It was another new age trend um, that she was posting up. And I thought, okay, she didn't dabbled in that doctrine. But, you know, I didn't think she was gone. I didn't think that she had, you know, went over to the dark side. You know, I knew she was on her way. She needed to be mindful. Nevertheless, I kept seeing her statuses. And after like two or three times of seeing her status come up on my thing and it was showing like, something new agey and ungodly i said wait so i clicked on her name to go to her profile and when i went to her profile it was nothing but witchcraft just everything affiliated with witchcraft everything and so i'm i'm sitting there thinking what happened like what happened to this girl and a person a young lady came into her comment section and said hey what happened are you not a christian anymore and she said, no, she's not a Christian. You know what happened? She was tried with fire. When you're tried by fire. Now, I, I need people to understand this. I need you to understand when I, when I say this. When you're tried by fire, you can still come out of the fire saying, I belong to God. But you can come out of there as a deceiver to yourself if you don't come out of that fire changed. If you don't come out of that fire a new creature in Christ. If you don't come out of that fire more intentional. If you don't come out of that fire with your mind set on serving the most high God to the best of your ability with all of your intentions, not just the intention of going to heaven, because a lot of people, they do that out of fear of, of going to hell. If you don't come out of that fire saying, let me be more intentional, let me be more loving, let me be more forgiving, 
you weren't changed by the fire for the best. That fire revealed you. Even if you're disguising yourself, that fire revealed you. That young lady, and I know somebody would ask me, well, did you inbox her? No, because the way she was responding to people that were in her comment section let me know that she did not want to be bothered. But I did take the time out. Hopefully, I think I did. I did take the time out to pray for her. Um, and I left it at that. I've had two people, two people that I knew, two people that I walked with. I watched them fall away from the faith. This one lady, first one lady I was ministering to, we started building a friendship and what have you. And one of her issues, and you want to, let me tell you something amazing. Every person, every person, every person, every, every, every single person that I've seen fall away from the faith had the same thing in common. They had an idol. They idolized relationships. They wanted to be in a relationship so bad. It never failed. So this, this one woman I had been ministering to. Like most Christians, she was on the journey. You know, she was on this journey. She was a single woman. She was trying to be abstinent. She had abstained and all this other stuff, but she was still struggling in her flesh. Long story short, what ended up happening with this young lady was one particular day. Now, I know she struggled with lust. I'm not going to go into the details of that, uh, but she was fighting. She was fighting. But I would always try to get her to understand like, hey. You know, God's going to send the right guy in due season. Don't worry about the dude. Just keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. But the one thing that she did that made me realize I had to put date, distance or space between me and her was it was supposed to be just straight up ministry. I ministered to her, you know, from time to time. And then, you know, that's it. But it became a dependency on her end, whereas she needed me to talk to her every single day. She needed me to minister to her every single day, not even minister. It was just talking on the phone, you know, because she wasn't doing anything with her time. So she just wanted to sit up on the phone every day and talk about what she felt, what she was going through. And it was almost always centered around a man or wanting to have friends, having a friend that wasn't a friend. It was just a lot. And I got to a space where I was like, okay, how do I, I don't want to hurt her. But at the same time, I don't want, I don't want to be on the phone every day. You know, I'd already spent my seasons, my life doing that stuff or what have you. I just don't. I, I, I want to spend that time, you know, doing what God has given, doing what God has graced me to do or what have you. So I try to figure out what a way to, I think this is, a, well, no, I got one more dishwasher. I tried to figure out a way to kind of distance myself. In that retrospect, still be there as a sister in Christ, but not have to talk on the phone every single day. And what ended up happening was I literally prayed about it. I talked to the Lord about it. I was like, Lord, can you send her a friend? And I told the Lord, I said, can you send her a friend? Because she didn't have a desire to get busy. She didn't have a desire to build or anything like that. So, you know what ended up happening? I don't think I should have said that prayer or what have you. She, got, she ended up getting a friend, but I don't think that friend came from the Lord. <laughs> she ended up getting this friend, and she gets really distracted. This girl is just as unbusy as she is. Um, They start talking on the phone. They become almost instant best friends. So I would hear from her occasionally, like once every two weeks, and then it, went, it graduated to like once a month. And I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, because I just I wanted to have time. I don't mind talking. 
every once in a while, but I'm not, when it comes to dating, like you're in a relationship, that's different, but I don't want to be on the phone talking about nothing. Honestly, I don't like going in circles and conversations because I always feel like I'm wasting my time. But anyhow, she ends up meeting uh, a young lady. They start talking a lot. You know, whenever she tells me about it, she's like, Tiffany, she's Christian. She's this, she's that. Um, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, ha ha, thank you, Lord. And you answered my prayer. All of that. I didn't tell her that. I didn't tell her that I prayed for the Lord to send her somebody, you know. But after a while, she starts complaining about this, this young lady. Because one, for one, she spent some time trying to control the woman. So they both seem to have the same issue. They both were desperate to be in a relationship. And she ended up, the lady ended up, I don't remember what the lady did, but whatever she did initially wasn't bad. And when she was telling me why she was mad at the lady, I'm just on the phone like, yeah, no, she wasn't wrong. That's you. And so I explained it to her. I tried to, you know, give her some insight, but she couldn't seem to grasp what I was saying because she was so caught up on what she felt. Um, that she wasn't willing to hear anything else. So I just sat back. I decided, hey, <laughs> leave it alone or what have you. She go away. I don't hear from her for probably another month or so. I think this time I didn't hear from her for like two months. I don't hear from her. She pops back up. Well, anytime I heard from her, it was typically very brief. And it was a complaint about this girl and how desperate she was for a man and the mistakes this girl was making and you know, all of this stuff. And I'm like, well, just pray for her. And then she tell me, yeah, we were out at the club. And I'm like, well, wait, why, why are you at the club? <laughs> you know, and I try to talk to him. Like, wait, why, why are you at the club? To make a long story short, she ends up, she stops calling me altogether. You know, I won't say forever, ever, because I end up hearing from her again. But it's like five, six months past. I hadn't heard from her. Or what have y'all see her on Facebook? She would like my statuses occasionally, and that's that. You know, it is what it is. I ain't tripping. One day I noticed on Facebook, she changed her profile picture to a picture of a young guy. Now, she herself, she was around my age. The guy, not only did he look um quite younger than her, I was able to discern. That bro man had some demons of perversion attached to him. Like he had some strong perversion demons attached to him. And I looked at that. I was like, oh no. She got she got kids. She got a daughter. Or what have you. I, I, I knew. I was like, no. I didn't say anything. Because one thing about it is, like I said, she had already proven to be one of those people that you can't really minister to. Because she's just going to keep being combative. And she's going to keep telling you what she feels and all of that. So, you know. Like I said, I, I, I learned, hey, say a prayer and keep it moving. Um, finally, probably about a, another month or two later, profile picture changes back to a picture of her. So next thing you know, I get a call from her. Okay, we'll do a conversation, not uh, that big of a deal. I get a call from her and she's asking for prayer. She's telling me all the stuff that she's going through and all that. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I talked to her and I try to encourage her. And then she mentions, oh, something else I need to tell you. I kind of hid it from you and all that. And I was like, well, she said, I kind of got myself in a relationship. Um, but, you know, and she tells me that she is grieving 
this relationship. And she tells me all these antics and games this guy has pulled. And I said, is this the same guy that you had on your profile picture? She said, oh, yes. I said, that guy is full of spirits. That guy is full of perversion. I said, when I looked at him, I said, I literally have to pray for you. I said, that guy is not the type of person that you will leave around your daughter because he will go after your daughter. And she's gasped. She said, Tiffany, Tiffany. And I was like, what? She said, do you know he went to prison for child molestation? And I was like, oh, I'm not surprised. Saddened by that. But she was like, you know, he claims he's not guilty. I said, oh, he's guilty. I said, looking at his picture, I can tell you, I felt all types of demons on this guy. I said, you know, you need to run for your life. She wasn't concerned about that. She was shocked, you know, but she wasn't concerned about that. She was more concerned with the fact that he had been playing games with her. He seemed to have moved on with his life. Um, I think he had ended up going back to jail. It was just a lot of stuff going on. She was trying to grieve him, frustrated with the fact, you know, the stuff that he's doing and all that. So she just wanted relationship advice for the most part. I'm on the phone trying to tell her, like, let's focus on this. We don't need to focus on nothing else. Focus on this. That wasn't the man for you. That's a pervert. That's a twisted man. It doesn't matter what he did out there in those streets. It doesn't matter who he did it with. Long as he didn't do that to your daughter. I said, you need to stay focused. She was like, yeah, I, I get it, but I'm not going to lie. I am hurt. I am disappointed. And I said, I get that because you created a soul tie with this guy. But at the end of the day, that's not the man for you. Okay. We get off the phone and I know I'm not saying every, I'm not saying what she wants to hear. We get off the phone and she goes on with her life for a while. You know, I don't see this guy's picture up there. Then one day, probably about a month or so later. His, she changes her picture right back to his profile picture. I said, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. But you know what? That's not my business. And nothing I can do about that. That's her life. It's not mine. So um, I said, here we go again. And I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I let her be. Next thing you know, about another month passes again. I get a call from her. I need somebody to talk to. I said, what's up? She says, you know, I'm just coming out of a relationship, you know, with a guy. I know, I know you warned me against him, but, you know, I, I just really cared about him. This, that, this, that, and the other. I'm listening and I'm suppressing the desire or this, this, this feeling to say, well, you got so much care about him, but you don't care about your own kid being put in harm's way. But that's what I doubt you does. So I let her go on and talk and she tells me all the little sinister things that he's done to her. I'm not surprised. You know, all the sinister things he's done to her. And uh, I think this is the time he had went back to prison. This was the time that, you know, he had violated his probation. He did something. I don't remember what he did, but he, had, he was back in prison. Um, but before he had gone back to prison, he had broken it off with her to be with somebody else. If I remember the story correctly. And then now that he was back in prison, he was trying to reach out to her. You know, he wanted money on his books. Uh, he was trying to reach out to her to see what he can get out of her, even though she was struggling financially. I'm sitting up on the phone thinking to myself, you have got to stop answering this girl's calls because she's not listening to wise counsel. You know, this is what the Bible says, don't toss your pearls to swine. You know, when people trample on it, you, it's literally, it's a wasted conversation. So I'm sitting up on the phone and I fuss at her a little bit. I tell her, you know, Hey, at the end of the day, I tried to tell you 
this guy's not a good guy. She's like, I know, I know, I know. I get it. I just, you know, I just didn't know what to do. I cared about him. I, I, I don't know how to, because he's going to get out soon. And I told her, I said, well, you're going to have to make that decision. I can't make it for you. You have to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to serve God with your body and not just with your lips. You have to make that decision. Well, I guess I don't know what happened. She changed the profile picture. She took him down after about a couple of more weeks. And that's that. I don't see her on Facebook for like three or four months. I think she's on there, but I don't see her. I don't hear from her for like three or four months. One day, she reemerges on Facebook and she's posting up hatred towards God. I'm talking about blasphemy, evil. I'm taken aback because I'm like, I have to refresh my screen to make sure I'm looking at the right person. I had to go to her profile and say, no, there is no way that this woman who called herself an evangelist of God, there's no way that she's posting up that evil. I'm sorry, somebody hacked her profile. Something is off because there's no way that this is the same person. It was her. She was posting up all of this evil. You know, you Christians, y'all say this. If your God is real, I, I, I'm sitting there looking like, okay, this is what happens when you go through deliverance and then you go back and pick that demon back up. It is seven times more wicked. You know, it's going to pick up something seven times more wicked than itself. It'll cause you to become downright angry with God. She's posting all this evil stuff and I, I'm ignoring. Like, I'm, I'm just, I make it up in my mind. I'm not going to engage her. Um, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm going to let her be. I just pray for it and I'll keep it going. It gets to the point where it becomes rapid fire, where she's constantly posting to Facebook. Like she has this hatred toward God or what have you. Then she changes her status to like her religion. It's some atheist and stuff like that and or Satanist or something. Um, her anger toward God became really evident. And the next thing you know, now this lady, she was a white woman and, um, the, the guy that she had been messing with, the one I saw was, that was a pervert, he was a black guy. She was a person, she was a woman who she only dated black guys. That was her thing. She only dated black guys, but she was just obsessed with, you know, being in a relationship, obsessed with it. So finally she changes her profile picture again, but this time it's a white guy. And I was taken aback by that within myself. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a white guy. And you can look at his, you can tell this guy, he's a Satanist. He's evil. He don't want nothing to do with God. He's angry with God or what have you. And she put, she posts in a relationship with him. I go to his profile and his profile is just nothing but blasphemy against God. It's just him uh, going against God and she liking his statuses. I said, I don't know if there is a penis alive that's worth burning in eternity for. I just don't. I don't. I have not run into that. And I don't want to run into somebody that darn potent that they that you'll be willing to die and go to hell just because you want a man. I'm saying that to say, and I'm going to tell the other story. But every time I've seen a falling away, every time I've seen someone walk away from God, it has always been. For a man, it hasn't always been because they were desperate to be in a relationship. They were desperate to, to be loved, to be understood. And I realized that God himself is love. 
He is enough. And whenever you go get somebody and you feel like you need that person to fill your void, what you're saying to God is that he isn't enough. But when you let him fill you up and let him bring you somebody, that's a different thing. Because then you can look that person in his eyes and say, hey, God is enough for me. So if he's not enough for you, you can go on about your business. Going to a second story. Had this friend, similar situation. Um, Every time we talked, one of the issues that would arise was a spirit of control. Every time we talked, do, 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 man, man, man. At this time I was married. It was just always, you know, discussions about a man. And for whatever reason, like a lot of married women, I didn't feel like I had the right to kind of tell her to calm down on that. Because every time I tried to, you know what she would say. It's easy for you to say, you got a pair of warm thighs laying next to you every night. And I'm just like, girl, (laughs) you have no idea what I'm going through with with these warm thighs that lay next to me. But that, I digress. She would, uh, like I said, she would be very combative. That's one of the things I've also seen. They would always, they they can't receive uh, counsel. They're just combative. They're so caught up in what they believe and what they want. She would just get really combative. Well, she was trying to do the abstinence thing too. You know, she had been ordained in ministry and she was trying her best to, to serve the Lord, but she just wasn't content in him. And the enemy loves that. He loves to find women who are discontent, women who are not satisfied with God alone, women who have not allowed God to have the wholeness of their hearts because they're still reserving that for somebody else. She just never seemed to be satisfied. She was so argument, argumentative and contentious. I knew I can't be her friend for too long because this is too much. You know, we can't, I can't get on the phone with her without there being some type of combativeness or something like that. It always had to be some type of negativity or drama. Anyhow, like I said, she's trying, but you know, first I see her running from churches. That was the first sign, you know, running from churches or what have you. But she accused the church. She said, hey, they got this issue. That They got that issue. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I understood why you ran, ran. But then it became like almost every church. And I'm like, wait, okay, hold up. Yeah. Then I, the control started uh, being directed at me. The more I talked to her, the more controlling she got towards me. And um, I remember it got so bad that she would call me every day. And that's another red flag for me. But she would call me every day. And not only would she call me every day, she would get mad when I didn't answer my phone. So you know what I would do? I would intentionally not answer my phone a lot of times. And I know some people can say that's cruel and that's mean. No, because we weren't talking about anything. I was a whole married woman. I didn't have time to sit up on the phone and talk about absolutely nothing all doggone day long. So I sat up there and I was like, uh, many times, and I had this rule, like if I'm on the phone, with somebody, I'm not going to click over to answer the other line. I'll call you back. That was my rule. But my rule was, well, that wasn't necessarily a rule. That was just a, a, a habit of mine. But I had a rule that if you call me back to back, like if you call me back again, right behind that, then I think something is wrong. I'm going to get off the phone and answer your call. I communicate, communicated that to her, all that, or what have you. So we used to have fuss sessions, like real literal fuss sessions. Uh, about me not answering my phone when she called and i'm like girl i call you plenty of times and you don't answer your phone but that's different i say no different and i said i don't trip on you don't do that um she called and she said you know 
she called me one day. Let me say this. She called me one day, and I was on the phone with my mentor, who happened to be a man, uh, a man of God, and he was a married man. And she was really jealous of him, incredibly jealous of uh, my relationship with him. Even though this man, this is my mentor. I was married. He was married. This guy never came on to me. I never came. It was just strictly ministry. That guy helped me out through so much. So she called me and she know, anytime I was talking to him, we'll call him, uh, brother, uh, Trey. We'll say Trey. She knew that whenever I talked to brother Trey, I was not going to answer my phone. The only person I was going to answer for was my mother or the man I was married to. Other than that, I'm going to call you back because I'm being poured into, you know, cause I'm always pouring out, but I'm, I'm being poured into. Well, she ends up calling me one day. And this, this, she had done this plenty of times, but, um, she ended up calling me one day and she, you know, rings my phone. I'm on the phone with brother Trey and I'm telling you, he's encouraging me cause I was in, you know, not in a, not in a great place. He's encouraging me. He's instructing me and all that. So, uh oh, sorry. I'm on the phone with brother Trey and she starts calling my phone. Well, she calls my phone. I don't answer. In my mind, I say, I'll call her right back up as soon as I get off the phone with Brother Trey. Because we talk every day. Me and Brother Trey, we talk, you know, occasionally. Me and her, we talk every day. Or we used to talk every day. I answer my phone when I don't answer the phone. So she hangs up and she calls me right back. And I don't think I answered it. I always tell the story and I say I answered it. But for whatever reason, I don't think I answered it the second time she called me back. But I may have. I tell Brother Trey, I say, hey, hold on. I said, let me call you back. Because, you know, we'll call her um, Dana. I said, Dana's calling me. I don't know what's going on. He was like, all right, okay, okay. So I, I'm like, hello? She said, I bet you were on the phone with Brother Trey, weren't you? I'm like, yeah, what's up? She was like, nothing. Every time I call you, you act like you can't answer your dang on phone. I said, girl, what's up? She was like, nothing. She said, and so she, she goes straight into accusation. She's spending all of her time wanting to spend just accusing me rather than telling me what she wanted, which told me that she didn't want anything. I said, what is up? What's going on? She was like, nothing. I was just calling you. I said, girl. She was like, no, no. And that was her way, you know, trying to protect her. I, I said, girl, now you know I said, girl, no, you did not just get me off the phone. You literally have nothing to talk about. You did not just blow up my phone like that just so I can get on the phone. And now you want to play Miss Fuss. I said, don't you ever in your life pull that crap with me. Now you act like I said, you, you supposed to be a married woman and he a married man. You act like you like him. I said, don't pull that foolishness with me. I said, you can't call my phone and get mad when I don't answer. Because it wasn't just times when I would be on the phone with Brother Trey. I would take naps in the day. You know what? She'd be mad about that. By the time I wake up, she's already left me a voicemail or she's angry. Um, I If I was on the toilet and I didn't get to the phone or what have you. Or uh, like I said, if I didn't feel like talking on the phone, I'm just not going to talk on the phone. I'm not going to let nobody force me. So I'm just like, no. So long story short. I had a fuss session with her that day. And that day was the day I realized I got to cut this girl off. 
because this is a toxic relationship. This is the very definition of toxicity. And she's not trying to learn. Like she's not trying to learn how to be a friend. She's too busy trying to control me. And um, long story short, I got caught up in that. I want to stick to the topic at hand. What ends up happening with her is we have an episode where I do. I had I, I, I had no choice to cut, but to cut her off. Because one, she kept struggling with, with guys. Okay, not a big deal. I understand we're all at some place in our walk with Christ and what have you. But we had this one incident where she had um, slept with a guy. And she called me to talk about it. And uh, while we were on the phone, you know, I told I told her, I said, hey, you know, dust yourself off and try again. You know, you you know, you just repent this, that, this. Uh, and she she had this little saying she used to love to say, don't be so heavenly minded that you ain't no earthly good. And I'm like, girl, whatever. So she sat up on the phone and she tells me, you know, that, you know, that she slept with a dude or what have you. She don't seem repentant at all. No concern. And so she starts trying to give me the blow by blow detail. She says, so girl, he whipped it. I said, uh-uh, no, ma'am. I don't want to hear that. She was like, Tiffany, I know you don't be so heavenly minded. You ain't no earthly good. I said, like I said, I don't want to hear that. She said, don't. And so she goes, I don't remember everything she says, but she goes on this shout match. Cause that was her thing. She like, she used to love to shout. It was, like I said, spirit of control. She would go on this little shouting match or whatever. So she went in this little shout and I said, don't raise your voice. Um, don't do that. So she's like, no, I'm just saying, you know, we got to be able to communicate. We, if we friends, we got to be able to communicate. This is my problem with you. So she goes on this little rant trying to tell me what her issue is with me. I'm solid. I'm, my mind is made up. I'm not about to listen to her talk about what some, what some dude did to her in the bedroom. I don't care that, I'm, that I was married at the end of the day. I just didn't want to hear it. So after she goes on this shouting match, literally, after she finishes, I'm not saying anything because I'm, 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 on, I'm on the phone contemplating how I'm, you know, what I'm about to do with this child. And um, she says, now, anyhow, so he came over, girl. And then he, I said, like I said, and that, that part shocks me because I can tell in her, in her mind, she thought she had fussed me down. She thought she had broken broken down my will and got me to a space where I was going to sit there and I was going to listen or I was going to be yelled at. So, I, and I said, like I said, and I don't remember what happened. I'm pretty sure she probably hung up the phone in my face. I don't care. After a few things like that, events like that, um, I got tired. I got tired of being on the phone arguing with her. Like we, we would have these these shouting matches, it, it, it became very toxic. Um, I think the last time that we had a shouting match was when she called me one day crying on the phone. She was highly emotional. She calls me on the phone. She's crying and about something that happened in her life. And she's just, I'm talking about at the top of her lungs, you know, I'm just I'm tired. You know, she's going off and crying, what have you. And I try to be a friend. I say, you know, I said, Hey, you know, sis, I understand, you know, when things happen, God, this and God, that I, I'm trying to say, so I'm trying to say encouraging things. This girl, you literally shouts at me. Oh my gosh, shut up. I was like, wait, wait, what? Cause I'm thinking I, I, I'm genuinely believing she's talking to somebody. She, because I'm not saying anything bad. 
I'm not saying anything negative. I'm not saying anything condescending. I'm literally encouraging her. She's like, everybody wants to talk. And she, she, I remember she had mentioned that she had called her other friend and her other friend had tried to encourage her. Everybody wants to talk. Everybody wants to bump their gums. Shut up. Sometimes people just need you to listen. And I, I, I gave it, I said, I said, Hey, let me tell you something. Never in your life will it ever be acceptable for you to call me up and to raise your voice. Have you lost it? So I get off the phone with her. And she was like, no, you don't understand. I called such and such. She did the same thing. I hung up in her face. I'm tired. Sometimes I can get my encouragement just from me, me hearing myself teach. You know, and I was like, well, go talk to yourself in the mirror. I said, so basically you're looking for a toilet. Basically, you're looking for somebody to dump on. I said, I'm not a toilet. And that was that. So I ended up getting off the phone with her then. And I made that decision then. Um... Between then and a whole lot of other crazy stuff that she did, I made a decision. Yeah, this is it's it's too much. It's too much. So I decided to cut her off. But I did it in the worst way. I did it in the wrong way. Um, at that time, I didn't know how because I was like, I didn't want to cut her off in a way that would be like screaming on the phone or trying to explain. So I just decided to stop taking her calls. I decided to ghost her, which was like I said, it's not the best thing to do to a person. I decided to ghost her. And, um, she calls me up a few times. I don't answer her calls. You know, she texts me. I don't answer her text. I got it up in my mind. I don't want to have nothing to do with this child. No more. Because it's just way too toxic to have a relationship with her. It's just way too toxic to talk to her. She's just way too toxic. So, um, long story short, she finally gets the hint and she goes on about her business. She texts me a few times about, you know, me getting rid of her. I ignore her text. Then she texts to Facebook. I remember one status she posted up right before I deleted her off my Facebook was, I'm so glad that God is not like these Negroes out here. Um, yes, this was a black girl. Don't worry, guys. But uh, I'm glad that God ain't like Negroes, you know, or what have you. And I was like, okay, let me get her off my page. Not long after that, um, I found out that she goes into witchcraft. She goes into witchcraft. What led her there? What drove her into the realm of witchcraft? It's always the same dynamic. This desire to control God that manifests and materializes itself in his, and this desire to control his people. There is this obsession with being in a relationship. This obsession with, um, I, you know, making having another God and being angry with the most high God because he won't partner with them in their idolatry. It's been the same dynamic. And every relationship, every time I've seen anybody go back or go, I don't like to say go back, but go into witchcraft, it has always been the same dynamic. It has always been a dynamic of not being satisfied or content enough with God or not being willing to be satisfied or content enough with God, not being willing to taste and see just how good he is. They want to sample him. I found that a lot of people want God for the benefits, but they don't want him because he's good. They don't want him because he's great because they never get to the point to discover that about him. They read about his goodness. They read about his greatness, but they never get to that space where they taste and see for themselves that he is truly good. Outside of having a few victories and blessings here and there, they get to a space where they say, oh, you know, I'm so grateful. 
You know, God blessed me with this. God did that for me. God did that for me. But you got to hear me. It's not until the, the, the fire test that you are proven. It's not until the fire test that you are proven. Because when you are tried by fire, what's in you, if it's ungodly ambition, it's going to surface. If it's idolatry, it's going to surface. Whatever it is that you have in you, when that fire hits you, it's going to surface. And it's frustrating because these were two women whose potential I saw. These were two women who had been ordained in ministry. These were two women who had true calls on their lives. But the enemy had gotten them. He had gotten them. And one of the things I'm not going to sit here and do is make them seem like victims. Because one of the things that that's really upsetting, I know even to the most high God, is this concept or, you know, making people feel or validating this belief that they've been through so much trauma. And that's the reason why, you know, they get like they get a pass. They get a pass in idolatry. They get a pass in, 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 in fornication. They get a pass. While you're a babe in Christ, yes, God, give, you got grace. But sometimes people feel like they get a pass in certain things because of what they've gone through. My mama did this. My daddy did that. So they feel like they get a pass in it all. And they don't. Instead, God gives you grace to grow and repent. It is what it is. That's how that works. God gives you grace. He gives you the opportunity to grow out of a sin. He gives you grace. He gives you the opportunity to heal, to get free, to get delivered. He gives you grace. He gives you opportunity for all those things. But you got to want him more than you want those scars and attention, the attention that comes with them. You got to want him more than what your scars brought into your life. You got to want him. And it is so disappointing to see so many people turn and fall away from God and all too often there you, you the people that you see falling are not people you expect to fall there are people that you expect to push on through to pull on through but idolatry takes them out idolatry takes them out and I could have been in that number I could have been in that number because idolatry had his clutches on me idolatry had a hold on me I had that that time where I made a man my idol. And you know what? Not, one thing I need to get people to understand, it's not about making a person your idol. Honestly, you can be in a relationship with a man and or a woman to the guys, and that person can or cannot serve as your idol. You can turn around. Like if I come across a woman in, a, in, in an idolatrous relationship, she can stop idolizing the man that she's with. She can do that. She, she just has to go on a journey with God, give God back his place or what have you. But the thing about idolatry is whatever king's been on the throne, that's the king you're going to trust. I'm going to say that again. Whatever the king that has been on the throne for a long time is the king you're going to trust. When I had my ex-husband on that throne, he was the king that I trusted. Even though I was Christian, even though I loved the Lord, even though I wanted God, I wanted to please him. I wanted to live a life that was pleasing to him. I still had this idol. And I was trying to figure out how do I have that idol and please God at the same time. I remember we were living in fornication. So I figured if we got married, then 
all of my gods would be happy. Every last one of them. We end up getting married and it was no better. It was a hot mess. Over the course of time, when me and this man finally broke up, you know, while we were together, God, I don't remember God telling me I was in idolatry while I was with the guy. I don't remember hearing that word while I was with the guy. And I think it's because God knew that I wasn't going to receive it. God knew that I wasn't going to understand. God knew that it would have hurt me. God knew that it wasn't going to be something that I would come immediately out of. So he let me be an idol worshiper. He let me do all that crazy stuff until finally one day me and this man had broken up and we were going through our divorce and it was, you know, the first initial time it was nasty. It was contentious because, you know, he was a narcissist. I can be honest. He was a narcissist and his, in his mind, he felt like he should be able to do what he wanted to do. (laughs) You know, he felt like there should be no consequences and he should be able to do what he wanted to do and all that. Me, on the other hand, I got to a space where I realized that, hey, you can either stick in this for the rest of your life and be miserable. (laughs) You could be one of those women that looked at women at your church and watching all these happy and healthy marriages flourish and you can sit here with this dude for the rest of your life and you can be abused and cheated on for the rest of your life you can be mishandled and you can be suicidal for the rest of your life you can keep dealing with those health issues that were starting to manifest for the rest of your life because I had this issue that started coming out and it stopped when me and him broke up where I started losing control of my right arm. It was my hand and my arm. It would just randomly just, just jerk out of place. And at first it was doing it at home. And then eventually it started doing it when I was at work. And I worked at AT&T, you know, typing, <laughs> answering calls and typing uh, data into the computer. And my arm would do that. And I remember most of the times when it do it, I would literally break down crying. Because I knew I was having a breakdown. I knew that I was breaking down. Nevertheless, God rescued me. He delivered me. He set me free. And one day while I was driving, while I was going through a divorce with this man, we're still in the heat of the divorce. We were still in the, the, the hard part, the hot, you know, the, the contentious part of the divorce. And I was driving down this dirt road toward my house. And I was praying. And I was listening to the Lord. And the Lord said, you idolized that man. And that was the first word I heard. That was the first time I heard the word of idolatry affiliated with my relationship. He said, you idolized that man. It was a revelatory moment for me. It was a moment that was imprinted on my heart because, like I said, I had not conceptualized that I was idolizing another person. And when God said it, I started thinking about what an idol was. And I was like, you're right. And I started to repent. I said, God, I repent. I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know. But here's here's the kicker. Because this is what I wanted to say. And this is not supposed to be a lesson on adultery. But this is what I want to say. Sometimes we think the idol is a person. The idol is a heart condition. The person just came and filled in that role that was created by the heart condition. Because once I threw that guy off the throne... 
And I didn't give God his space. What I did was I defaulted back to me being my own idol. I didn't realize it. (laughs) But I defaulted back to, you know, my preferences, my opinion, my desires, my feelings, my intentions. I defaulted back to that. Consequently, I found myself in another ungodly relationship, ultimately at another altar saying I do to somebody that God said I don't to. (laughs) Or they said I don't to God. And there I went into another roller coaster ride of five years of frustration, five years of depression, five years of anxiety, five years. Why? Because I kept throwing myself into the ring with that same demon. I kept throwing myself into that issue because I wasn't willing to let Yahweh be my God, be my only God. Unbeknownst to me, I was polytheistic. I had multiple gods. I was trying to serve me. I was trying to serve the concept of marriage. And I was trying to serve the most high God. Consequently, he got the, the lax end of the slack, uh, the, the, the aftermath of it all. A lot of us are prone to idolatry. And we have to be honest. I'll be right back, guys. Okay, I'm going to be really transparent. I came back because I almost forgot what the message was supposed to initially be about. I went down a rabbit hole. I'm like... What am I supposed to be talking about? But no, God was on point. That was me having a moment. Um, But to get back to it, your yes will be tested. And oftentimes romantically, that is the greatest test of them all. Um, Financial tests and romantic tests are the greatest tests of idolatry. You will be proven by fire or you will be disproven by fire. Like I said, I had sisters in Christ and I saw If you had asked me, Tiffany, if fire hits them, will they pass the test? I would have told you a resounding no. Why? Because they were not content in God himself. They were not content in just being alone and letting the Lord do what he needed to do in their lives. And it became evident in the fact that they would constantly present their bodies as a living sacrifice, unholy and unacceptable to God, to some men that God had not sent into their lives. They were so determined to get a ring, so determined to become somebody's missus. They were so determined and they would put, they put God on the back burner thinking that, you know, once I get what I want, then I can give him what he wants. But that means they made themselves first. And God said, you should have no other gods before me, meaning nothing that comes in front of me because anything that comes in front of me is a God. There are so many Christians that are falling away right now because their yes is not rooted in the word of God. Their yes is rooted in ungodly ambition. Their yes is rooted in this hero syndrome that they have as it relates to God. Oh, you rescued me. You rescued me from all of my pain. You rescued me from this. Let me show you where the trouble comes with that. Because the minute that fire hits you, when that warfare hits you, when them problems hit you and those bills hit you and it does not seem that God is saying anything, when it feels like God doesn't care, when it feels like God is mad at you, what's going to happen is that yes falls down and is replaced by a no. Because in that you go right back into that same old space of self-reliancy. It shows that your relationship with God had conditions attached to it. Conditions are handles that the enemy will pull on and he will always test you. See, remember how he tested Job. He, he saw Job and he says to God, hey, God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, well, 
<laughs> the guy has everything. You didn't bless them. Not only did you bless him with all these sons and daughters and riches and all this great stuff, but you got a hedge of protection around him. Of course he's going to bless you. In other words, he was saying that Job was using God. Of course he's going to bless you. Of course he's going to honor you. Of course he's going to be faithful. Let me t- attack him. Take that hedge of protection from around him and watch. I can make him curse you. And he tried. God lifted the hedge. God said, you can do anything you want to him, but you cannot touch his life. Here comes Satan. He attacks this man, kills his children, kills off a lot of his sheep, his servants. He brings boils to this man's flesh. I'm talking about he's going through the ultimate attack. The ultimate attack. Christians nowadays, especially in America, the majority of them will have cursed God when they lost one kid. This man lost 10. So here it is. He's going through all of this, this heartache, this grieving. And then he got to turn around and listen to his wife say, curse God and die. And if that ain't bad enough, his friends are talking about him. They judging him. They made it up in their mind that he's some type of hypocrite. And it's something they have been harboring for a while. Because when you're tested by fire, people's true heart about you begins to come. It begins to emerge when people feel like you are defeated. When they feel like you're not going to go any further than where you already are. When they feel like that you are a, a you washed up or what have you. Their hearts begin to reveal themselves. They'll still show up. But they're going to show up with dishonor. And he sits back there. And he tries to. Well, his friends come and they, they come and accuse him. And what have you. his wife tells him to curse God. Nevertheless, Job remains faithful. He was suicidal. <laughs> but he was faithful. And he was in agony. You could hear it in his words and what have you. But he was faithful to God. He wouldn't curse God. And God turned around and blessed him. With more than what he had already had. I need you to hear me when I say this. You will be tried by fire. You will be tried by fire. Your relationships, they will be tried by fire. Everything will be tried by fire. And the truth is what surfaces. Man, it's what surfaces when a fire hits. It's not what, it's not, if you're talking to a dude, if I'm, if I'm talking to a guy And this guy love bombs the crap out of me, says, I love you. I'm in love with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You are my everything. You're the, you're, you're the woman I've been praying for. I thank God for you. And he buys me, uh, everything that I want. He, he goes out of his way. He's protective of me. He does all these things. He said, I'm about your house. And I said, wait, baby, we ain't married yet. Wait. He said, no, I'm going to get the house. And you know, that's going to be, you know, your house in your name. And then we're going to get us another house when we get married. I'm like, but what are we going to do at my house? He said, that's going to be in your name because I just want you to be blessed. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> wow. This, this is a different breed of man. All right. This is a different kind of, of creature, you know, and I'm all happy. But that baby gets tried by fire. That's where the truth comes out. Not in what he bought me. Not in all of the, I love you. You're beautiful. I can't stop thinking about you. Text. None of that stuff means anything. When the fire hits, what surfaces? When the fire hit, is he still going to be there or has he been washed away? And I'm not just talking about physically because you can be physically present, but emotionally absent. Is he still going to be there? If the fire hits and we go through some warfare, some attack, maybe his, be- his baby mama, you know, he got a child with a girl from 15 years ago and. 
You know, she left the country. He couldn't reach her. He didn't have any contact with his kid or what have you. And, you know, he's always wanted to have contact with his kid. She resurfaces. And now all of a sudden she wants back child support. 15 years of back child support. He tries to explain to the United States government that, hey, I couldn't pay child support because I didn't know where she was. And they say, well, you were already on order to pay. How can I pay when I don't know where she is? It was not being garnished from my check. I was supposed to physically deliver it to her or to send a check to her. She disappeared. And she sits there and says, it don't matter. You could have gave it to my mama. You could have gave it to this. And he goes and he comes to me. He says, Tiffany, you know, I saved up all that money to get a house. I saved up all this money to do a lot of things and like everything I I saved that money for. It's like it's about to be taken away by some some vindictive woman who refuses to forgive me when she the one that cheated on me. I didn't cheat on her. She cheated on me. I just chose to end the relationship as a result. And so now she vindictive and walking around for all this time still thinking that she the victim. Still thinking that she the victim and she used the fact that I asked for a paternity test. But what would you have done if you discovered that the woman who just had your baby two months ago is having an affair with somebody and that that somebody happens to kind of, you know, resemble your kid or your kid resembles that somebody. You know, clearly she had a type. What would you do? And I'm like, oh, I I mean, I would have got a blood test either way. I, I, I get you. I get it. Next thing you know, the attack hits him on his job. And everything starts being frustrating. And you know, one of the, I think the most effective attacks I've, I've found is not the, the ones that the, the fire. Typically, the fire attacks come before the flattery attacks. Um, and what I mean by that is the greatest test is not warfare or not that type of warfare. It's typically when opportunity opens, when all of a sudden doors start opening for you, opportunities, you know, what have you, seats start being emptied out so that you can sit on them. You start getting these opportunities behind opportunities and all of that temptation starts to flow in your head. All of those thoughts. Why would I continue to affiliate myself with her? I'm going to be great. Not considering that doors are opening. Because of her, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be wonderful. This girl, uh-uh. Nope. I'm going to do amazing things in the earth because I got all these opportunities. So bro man looks and decides, hey, I got all these doors opening. I got all this stuff happening for me. And, you know, I mean, she a nice girl, but, you know, she basic to me. She basic. You know the type of woman I could date? With all of these doors, they're trying to make me president of this company. They're trying to fly me out. They're talking about letting me live in Japan for a year. That's the biggest test of them all. It's the greatest test of them all is whenever opportunity knocks on your door. Not to say that you shouldn't take opportunities. And, that, and that's how you prove your loyalty. I want to make sure that I'm being mindful of how I say that. I'm saying that when you feel like you need to close doors or sabotage other relationships to enter into other relationships is because it's a pattern in your life. It's a pattern of going from one relationship and feeling the need to end another relationship in order to enter another one. That's a pattern. I call it the other woman syndrome. 
or the other dude syndrome. It's the mistress syndrome is when you have that pattern of if I'm in a relationship with this guy, I have to meet somebody else in order for me to leave that guy. And that doesn't just carry on in your romantic relationships. It carries on in every other type of, of relationship because you always feel like you have to close the door. You don't even realize that it's not necessary. You always feel like you have to close the door. You feel like you have to make adjustments when that you have to do whatever you got to do because it's all about not only survival, but it's about you getting on this platform. It's about you becoming big and you becoming known, not realizing what that entails. Because if you can't handle the warfare at the bottom, by the time you get to the top, the warfare, goodness. I'm saying that to say you will be tried by fire. So make sure that you are studied up. Make sure that you are prayed up. Make sure that you have made up your mind that I am going to stay in the will of God. I won't fall into the many traps of the enemy. I won't let any of the enemy's darts pierce me. I'm going to wear the whole armor of God. I'm going to get my therapy. I'm going to get my regular bouts of deliverance. I'm going to do what I got to do, but I'm not coming outside the will of God. You have to make that up in your mind because if not, you will be amongst the many that are falling away from God. You will be amongst the many who Say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And then the fire hits. And their I love you start getting more and more silent. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you. Where were you? Why'd you let all this happen to me? Because the enemy, what he'll do is he'll burn up everything in your life. He'll attack you and then he'll flatter you on the other end. Meaning he'll open up opportunities. He'll do a lot of stuff just to direct you out the will of God. So because you don't feel safe with God. See, once you've been attacked by the enemy and you call on the name of the Lord and it seems like the Lord ain't trying to rescue you and you start reasoning within your mind that either God is mad at you or you start saying in your mind, why is God allowing all this to happen? I've been intentional. I've been prayerful. I haven't gone into any type of open sin. Why is God allowing this to happen? Not realizing that what you're being is you're experiencing the trying of fire. I have been in the fire so many times. You know what? Did I come out of there with flying colors? Nope. But I came out and I stayed the course. Did I come out and fly? Oh, nope. Mm -mm. I can tell you mistakes. I can, I can tell you mistakes I made in the fire. May have said something I shouldn't have said. Thought something I shouldn't have thought. Went through an attack that I could have walked around. Either way, I came out of the fire and I made a decision. And that was, I'm going to let this purify me and make me better and not make me bitter. I'm going to let this make me better and not let make me better because I want God to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. One of the prophecies I've gotten consistency consistently is God says he can trust you. And let me tell you a little bit of something about that. It's an honor. I'm going to say that first and foremost, that right there, that's the crown, that's the eyes, that's the head. It is an honor for God to trust you. But it's also a scary thing because when God says he trusts you, he's not just talking about with wealth. <laughs> he's not talking about with love and, you know, doing the right thing or with his people. He's talking about with fire, with the, the, the fires of time, the, the tests that prove you, the fire that comes and make you soft so that he can mold you into what he wants you to mold. He wants to mold you into. So while it is an honor, it is not a cakewalk. OK, because God is saying that's what he said when he looked at Job, when he said, OK, I'll lift the hedge. What he was saying was, I trust him. 
Do you understand what that means? When God said, I trust you, when he looked in and Satan said, hey, I bet I can make you curse him. And he said, "Okay." what he was saying is, I trust him. I trust him. But that's what the trust of God looks like sometimes, guys. It looks like God allowing that fire to hit you. It looks like God allowing you to go through all that hell or what have you, because he knows that you're going to come out of there polished and shiny and you're going to keep giving him the glory and you're going to take the treasures, the wisdom, the knowledge and understanding out of that trial. And you're going to help pull somebody else out when you find them in that same trial. And understand that pulling people out is not a flattering thing. It's not, you got this, God's with you. No, sometimes it is, you better get your tail up. Stop acting like that. This is happening because you chose this thing. Seeing all that to say, you will be tried by fire. I wish I, would, I could tell you differently. You know, a lot of times when we, in, we embrace new people into the Christian fold, we make, we make Christianity look so nice and it's good. Of course, we have an eternity with God. What's better than that? But we neglect to tell them that they're going to be tried by fire. We neglect to tell them that there are going to be times where their yes is tested. That they're going to go through times where they're going to deal with demonic, uh, demonic spirits, demonized people. They're going to deal with it all. We neglect to tell them that we neglect to tell them that the people around them are going to fall away as they change. Because can two walk together except they be agreed? Yo, as your mind change, a lot of the stuff that you once agreed upon, baby, it's going to fall away. We neglect to tell them all that stuff. We just tell them all of the benefits. Welcome. Welcome to your next level. Welcome. And then all hell breaks loose. And they like, what I love about my past is funny. I've seen people go to the altar and they, you know, embrace the call to salvation. And then he look at him and tell him, now I'm about to say, all hell's going to break loose in your life. And I thought, I've thought to myself plenty of times, ooh, that's not a good thing to hear when you finally say yes to the Lord. That ain't what you want to hear. That ain't what, I don't think I could have handled it <laughs> back in the day. I don't think I could have handled hearing that. You know, I, but at the same time, I can't say that because I, I had already experienced hell. I'd already experienced uh, the the craziness of life. I'm saying that to say your yes is going to be tested. And I'm not saying go prepare for the test by, you know, practicing. OK, what I'm going to do, uh, what I'm going to do if this happened to me. No, what you have to do is you really got to have that word in you. Honestly, if you don't study your, your word, you don't study the Bible every night. If you're not spending time with God every day. If you're not consistent in your Bible study, your church attendance, your pursuit of God, or if you are more consistent in your pursuit of people, your pursuit of people's opinions, if you're more persistent or consistent in that, when that fire hits you, you're going to look for those people. And sometimes that fire will come through those people. Sometimes your greatest attacks are going to come through the people you idolize. Sometimes the most drenching and overpowering, the most dramatic, the most depressing, the most frustrating, the most craziest attacks are going to come from people that you idolized, people that you inwardly worshipped, whether you did it with your lips, your money or your body, you worshiped them. And I want you guys to get delivered from this belief that you are truly serving God and you're Christian. Because you go to church and you speak in tongues. I want you to get delivered from that. The reason I want you to get delivered from that is because I don't want, just like God doesn't want, I don't want 
that you go before God one day and he says, get away from me for I never knew you. I don't want that for myself. Period. <laughs> I don't want that for myself. So I'm always trying to make sure I'm praying and doing a check, a heart check on myself because, you know, I have wrestled with idolatry. It's a generational curse in my family. And it's not something that's easy to, it's not something that you could just walk away from. When I come across people who are walking, walking around struggling with idolatry, I, I don't for once think that I can say, come out of idolatry. That is evil. You know what the Lord is going to do to you? And they're going to look at me and say, you're right. No, it don't work like that. I used to wrestle with that thing. Still have to fight it through because sometimes I, I can find that thing trying to lurk in my heart and I have to deal with it. I have to struggle with it. I have to wrestle it down to the ground because I have to sit back and say no. And you know, one thing I'm going to tell you before I go, one way God will help you, <laughs> and I'm using the word help lightly, one way God will help you to overcome idolatry is he'll allow the people that you look up to, the people that you idolize or you could potentially idolize, he will let, he will let them disappoint and hurt you repeatedly time and he'll let them be petty he'll let them do dirt dirty stuff to you and you'll be sitting there like what did i do and it'll hurt but you know what i can tell you for me myself personally it'll hurt so bad that i'm like i I don't want this pain no more i don't want to feel this anymore this hurts this hurts and then right then i do a heart examination And I have to change my mind and say, you know what? That's my sister. That's this. That's that. You know, and I've gone through that journey and it has been a not so fun one, but it's been a rewarding one. I'm closing it out to get you to understand that if you're mad with God, it's because you never were centered. You never centered your heart around him. You got tried by fire. And that idolatry came to the surface. You know how many women I've come in contact with that say they're no longer Christians anymore. And I say, what happened? And I already know the answer. I already know the answer. In a majority of cases, my husband left me for somebody else. And I had to go like, sis, okay, okay, let's stop here real quick. How'd you get him? How'd you get him? What does that matter? It It matters. Because if you didn't serve God to get him, God is not obligated to shield that relationship. If you didn't serve God while with him, God is not obligated to shield that relationship. God gives you this event. He gives you this technology called free will or the freedom of will, the freedom to express will, the freedom to make a decision. He gave it to that man as well. So don't get mad at God for not possessing a person, going against his own ordinances and giving you what you wanted. 99% 99% of the time I talk to a woman is, did you sleep with him? Well, I mean, yeah, but okay. You slept with him outside of marriage. Okay. Sis, you set the stage for this. But you know, God knows my heart. I was praying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You sold into the wrong kingdom. God has jurisdiction over the kingdom of God. He's given the enemy jurisdiction over the kingdom of darkness. Now, overall, he's still over everything because at the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow and every tongue has to confess that he is Lord. But when you go into Satan's jurisdiction, everything that you plant over there, the, the devil has the deed to. He has a title to. You can't get mad when the enemy comes back and he repossesses his stuff. You can't get mad. Walking around here, mad at God, willing to go against him, to cuss him out, to blaspheme him. 
willing to taste hell's fire for a dude. Aye. Willing to taste hell's fire for a man. I know somebody said, well, Tiffany, you used to be there. Not at that level. Either way, I grew out of it. And I have to teach so that you can come out of it. I have to teach so that you can say, hey, I don't want that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that woman when the fire comes and the enemy throws this dude at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because you know what gets to a lot of women? Oh, y'all don't want me to talk about it. When a man comes that you think is out of your league. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. When you find yourself talking to, dating, getting to know, or soul tying yourself to somebody because you done got beat up in your mind. You're, you done been beat up as it relates to who you are in Christ. You done been beat up. Your self-esteem has been beat to a pulp. And you come to believe that you are worthless. You come to believe that you're not beautiful. You come to believe that you can't pull a good man. And all of a sudden, the enemy sends somebody to you that you feel like it's a freaking catch. So you say in your head, dang it, if I get this dude here. And when the enemy hears that, the enemy says, I I want her to have him. Because I can control her with him. Saying to the guys, I've seen dudes, I've seen y'all out here. You get in a relationship with somebody and you think, man, how did I pull her? Goodness gracious. End up getting beat down in your attempts to hold on to somebody that God never called you to. Idolizing somebody. Don't you dare make an idol out of a human because humans can be demon possessed. And any human that allows himself to be worshipped will be demon possessed. Just the way that it works. You get in trouble when you allow people to worship you. You have to correct them. You have to let them know I'm not a guy. I am not the most high guy. You have to let them know. I'm saying when a test comes, please pass it. When a test comes, please pass it because this stuff is real. This stuff is real. And so many of us. We, are convinced, we have convinced ourselves, because this is what pride does. It makes you settled in your, 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 your foolishness. It makes you settled in your belief that God is somehow overlooking your foolishness because of your flattery. You know, I've, I've learned that a lot of people, when they get demonized, for whatever reason, they have it in their mind that they can talk God and anybody else into seeing things a certain way. That's not how that works. God knows your heart. You know what he does? Let me tell you this. You know, we talked about being tried by fire. This is how your heart works. Your heart, I want you to think of it as a CD player. You sit over here because God said many draw nigh me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. You sit up here and you go all this talking. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Dr. Watts all over the place, crying and snotting and shaking, all of that stuff. But God, all he has to do is hit play on that black box called the heart. All he has to do is hit play on that thing. This is why he said the heart is wicked. It's deceptive. Who can know it? All he has to do is hit play on that. And what's really in there is going to come out. If it's blasphemy and anger toward God, it's going to come out. If it's distrust, suspicion, it's going to come out. 
If it's dishonor and idolatry, it's going to come out. Whatever's in your heart is going to come to the surface. That's why God doesn't try your lips. He tries your heart. Because he knows that once that heart gets hit, once that heart is stretched, once there's pressure put onto that heart, what's in that heart is going to come to the surface. What's in that heart will come to the surface and you will be seen for who you are, not who you wish you were. I got to preach it because I believe that if I preach this, if I teach this, there will be somebody that goes and says, God, I repent. Most people won't. Most people will say in pride, I, I, the Bible said they, say, I wake my, they wipe their mouths and say, I've done no wrong. Most people will spend the rest of their lives convincing themselves that God is satisfied with their bare minimum. God is satisfied with being secondary in their lives. They will spend the rest of their lives convincing themselves that God understands their situation. While they should be exempt from his rules, his guidelines, from his word, because he understands what they went through. But then that fire is going to hit and they will understand being tried by fire on earth allows us to be purified. But the fire that we don't want to find ourselves in doesn't purify you. It destroys you. I'm saying that to say, let's make sure that we are ha- making sure that we are putting our hearts and our minds on the altar and that we are in constant repentance and that we are constantly crying out to God. And if you find something in your life that shouldn't be there, put that thing on the altar. Don't defend it. Don't justify it. Put it on the altar and kill it. Anyhow, I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon.